Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome back, everybody. It's 106 in Edmonton, 306 in Philadelphia. That's where the Edmonton Oilers are. They practiced earlier today after a 5-2 victory over Detroit last night. Edmonton is 8-0-1 in the last nine games. Oilers Now is brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation. Uh, a reminder that uh, you can text us and keep texting us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line 780-496-0063. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. We are going to head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline, 780-496-0063. The River Cree Resort and Casino Excitement, bet on it, open 24-7. They've got the Super Bowl watch party taking place Sunday. As uh, as I'm in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which it, it never has ever, like, it's, it's not the warmest of cities. It's beautiful here today, but... Yeah, I'll ask our next guest because uh, if I recall correctly, he posted the second most penalty minutes ever by an NHL rookie in a season. Al May is a member of the Washington Capitals. And he probably fought at one time or another every single one of the Flyers' tough guys as we welcome back longtime Washington Capitals player, color analyst, Alan May. Hi, Al. How you doing? Hey, man. Good to be with you. I'm doing great. Did you hate playing Philly in Philly? No, I absolutely loved it. It uh, it was, I, I was a kid who grew up. The Oilers were the Alberta Oilers. I was a Philadelphia Flyers fan growing up. I always wanted to play in the spectrum. And then as I got older, uh, I didn't want to play for the Flyers. I wanted to play for everyone else because I never did have a case of the Philly flu ever. And I made sure my first game that I ever played there, it was a preseason game after coming over from uh Sweden and Russia, where I was the leading scorer in training camp for the Caps, that a newspaper reporter said, you know, they didn't bring you here to to, to figure skate. I said, don't worry. It's three and out. So he didn't understand what three and out was. It was I had three fights in the first period. I played about eight seconds of ice time. I won all three fights. I fought Jeff Chikrin, uh, Terry Karkner, and Jay Wells, and I was in the dressing room having a beer before the period ended. He went after all their D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. And then it's funny. The reporter came down. They came down between periods, and they go three. That's three and out. What are you going to do tomorrow? I said tomorrow. There's not going to be one Philadelphia Flyer that looks at me. Everyone's going to be searching for quarters. It's a home game for us. I said I I sent a message, and sure enough, the next night no one came near me, and uh, I just got my Capitals career off to a very good start. Now, that was in 89-90, your rookie year in the NHL, where you had 339 penalty minutes in 77 games. Alan May joining us. Was Brownie, had he been traded by that point, Dave Brown? Was he in it? I'm just trying to think, because I know he came to Edmonton, and I'm trying to recall, you know what, the more I think about it, for some reason, I thought he got moved to Edmonton during the 88-89 season. Yeah, he did. Well, so he was out right. of Philadelphia. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, th I thought the cat, uh, the Flyers went downhill seriously after they traded Brownie. And as a matter of fact, I think I wore number 32 when I was called up to Edmonton for three games that season. 
And uh, yeah. I, you know, that, the teams were so cheap back then. But I remember they, them trading for Brownie. I can't remember who they traded them for. But Keith Acton. It, it ended up. Yeah, Keith, I was going to say my center in the first game that I played at the Oilers, and uh, he was wearing number thirty-two, which I wore. So they were so cheap that every guy that went up either got 32 or even number 27 back then, what I thought was very disrespectful to Sammy. And uh, so he wore 32, and there's a reason I was able to mow down the Flyers. It's because Dave wasn't there, and I legitimately thought he was the toughest guy in the NHL for that period of time. And uh, because he was there every game, he was all he was dressed every game, and he sent messages like no one else. And uh, a very scary hockey player. One of the things that he did um, is he was indiscriminate with who he went after. It's actually something that uh, Curtis McDermott has done since going to Colorado. Like George, you know, I, I, we all love George, but George, generally speaking, didn't worry about um, the rats. You know what I'm saying? But Dave Brown, I mean, Dave Brown cross-checked Thomas Sandstrom in the face because he knew there was no way Sandstrom was ever going to uh, end up, you know, dropping the flippers with Dave Brown. Um, you know, and I mean, you, 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 for the most part, fought heavyweights, but was there ever a point where you grabbed one of the guys that was a little greasier, sort of middleweight, and, and had it out with them, and maybe, you know, were, <laughs> and you weren't huge. Like, you're not a six foot five, 240 pound enforcer, Al, but you're big enough. Did you ever have to sit there and grab one of the smaller guys and set them straight out in the ice? Well, you know what? I, I, I fought, I guess I fought anyone, everyone, and there was a lot of guys. You know, you, the old game notes thing, everyone talks about it from my era. You'd go into the dressing room, you look at the game notes, and you, oh, he's a lefty, he's a righty. Some nights you only had to worry about two guys. Other nights you played the Flyers, you had to worry about eight to ten. Uh, you know, they were they were one of a kind. The Islanders were a lot like that for a lot of years. But I guess I, I fought all comers. So sometimes the big the big uglies came after me, and sometimes it was uh, you had to send a message to a little rat. And uh, so I guess I was fortunate that I was kind of in between sizes there. Ken Danico's the guy, according to HockeyFights.com, you fought him five times. And you fought Bomber four times. And Stephen Finn, who played with the Nordiques, he was kind of an underrated guy, wasn't he? He was, he was a strong, and he was not the biggest man. No, he wasn't, but he was a guy that I genuinely hated. And uh, every time I fought him, there was a, there there was there was a certain amount of hate thrown into every punch. So he, I, I, there was something about that guy I could not stand, and it was just I would run him as hard as I could. And back then, you were allowed to run guys, and you could take the six extra strides and finish your hit, and then get it going. And uh, he, I didn't realize I fought him that many times, but I couldn't stand the guy. And I don't, I don't know where it started, but I, I just, I just, I just hated the guy. We'd probably be good friends now, but I, I couldn't even stand looking at him. I just wanted to fight him. All right, we're joined by Alan May. Al, I don't know if you saw the Oilers last night. They were on ESPN down here in the states. The Caps weren't playing. Um, it was a little, you know. I, I don't think Detroit's got the toughest team. The Oilers, the Oilers aren't Minnesota or Calgary or even Philly. With you know, when Philly's and McEwen's out for Philly, and that's where Edmonton's tomorrow. But Philly's got the Laurier Sealer, who's totally underrated, uh, and they got McEwen, who's game, not a great technical fighter, but they got three guys that'll fight. Um, but Edmonton's got a little bit more push, uh, pushback, Al, than maybe they had before. You know, between Evander Kane. 
Clem Costin, and then uh, the addition of Vincent Darnay, who's had about 15 fights in the minors. Have you noticed the difference? Because I know you watch the Oilers play. Do they appear to be a little bit different team as a result? Well, I, I did watch the game last night, and um, I, I thought it was. I, I thought the Oilers did everything they did to. I think they're a completely different team with the Vander Kane in the lineup. Uh, Clawson is is I, I like the kid in St. Louis. I was hoping the Caps would take a sh- shot at him. Uh, I love everything that he brings, and the fact that he's so willing, uh, I think, is important because he's also a guy that shows up and earns his pay regardless of what he's making every single shift he's on the ice. In my opinion, and uh, he does good things with the puck. He he goes to the you know the hard the, the more physical areas to play, and then the big guy that adds a, a layer of confidence that you have someone that comes out there and i guess he's kind of got a cockiness and a confidence to how he plays and you know who he pushes and shoves he's not scared to get involved with anyone there's not a whole lot of guys you have to be worried about anymore but uh if you can have that on your team where you can have even guy a guy be a bully i think there's nothing wrong with being a bully uh and you know the the oilers have some of that now so I, i think it's important and all the all the things that were going on last night I like what the Red Wings were getting involved. I, I like that they played with some snarl last night. And uh, it was good to see, you know, something that was uh, you could classify as more of an old-fashioned game last night. Did you uh, see the Rangers in Calgary the night before? Yes, I did, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, I wish every team came back out of the All-Star break uh, like this and and played at that amount of fire because it was like – there, there were a lot of tension in, in the games the last few days. Even the Pittsburgh game last night, I was going back and forth, keeping an eye on that. And uh, they had a lot of antics in their game. And so, you know, I, I like the fact that everyone's got that, that last 30 stretch. There's so many teams that are still in the hunt on either side and everyone jockeying up and down and, and trying to sneak into the wild card. Teams trying to get out of seventh and eighth in, into the second and three spots. So everyone's come back so far in the games that I've watched with a little bit of fire. We're joined by Alan May, who had over 100 fights in the National Hockey League. Uh, he knew his role. It was it was quite defined. And, you know, it's, oh, I, we, always, we always enjoy having conversations with you because you don't hold back. Uh, hey, you fought Troy Crowder. And towards the end for you, you were in Dallas. Uh, mind you, at that point, he'd kind of circled through a bit. I think he was with the Kings. What do you remember? Because I remember him doing pretty good against Bob Probert at one point in his NHL career. Uh, well, I think that was kind of the highlight of his career. And, you know, my fight with him we probably should have been two minutes for each guy for wasting time. Uh, it wasn't much of a fight. And, it, 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 you know, it was just one of those awkward things where really they should have just given us two so we could fight at the penalty box. But uh, I, I think he wasn't a very good hockey player. Uh, you know, universally well liked by the teammates, but he was another guy. He he didn't go out there every night sending messages. He couldn't couldn't get out there to make the hits uh, and to intimidate. And I really thought the the teams that were the best were the teams that could use their skates to intimidate. And then you back and they could back them up when they dropped the gloves. But when you had guys that could only play, and this is where hockey lost it. And when they went to guys that were only playing one and two shifts a game that couldn't play the game, uh, they ruined that part of the game and you know just by bringing guys who just specialized in standing still and fighting but they couldn't skate they couldn't get to the hits there were far too many guys like that for far too long they've got their fights on you know on the dot coms and everything but i think the teams that had players like that uh the one dimensional player if i'm a coach i say hey 
Nobody fights that guy. And I tell my tough guy in front, or my tough guys, no one fights him. He's no good. Don't go near him. We want him on the ice. He's a minus player every time. I think that's the attitude, you know, teams should have had with that rather than obliging and some, you know, sending your guy out there. Maybe he loses in a lopsided battle, and then you you lose the momentum of the game, especially if you're on the road. Well, uh, the Oilers have Evander Kane, who's capable of providing some energy. He had 35 goals in 58 games last year, Al. And Costin, even though he hasn't scored for a couple games, and at one point he was shooting at 24%, he could shoot the pill. He's got nine goals this season. So basically, Kane's a first-line left wing, and Costin's a middle six left wing. Uh, the Oilers are going to play the Flyers tomorrow. The Flyers have Delorier and Sealer. We know they can chuck them. Torts has a... You know the way he wants to his team to play. If you were Jay Woodcroft, how would you you know how would you approach that matchup, and how have the Washington Capitals approached the matchup against the Flyers? Well, I think the biggest thing with the Oilers is just go on the attack and force them to make force the Flyers to make bad plays at the puck because you know Torch has them playing right now. You know it's a kind of a caveman type of hockey. It's very simple. You know, it's using the boards a lot. It's getting it out of trouble. Um, it's a very simple style that I think you can you can hammer them. And you've got to get pucks towards the front of the net. You've got to you've got to create altercations in their zone. Make them play defense because I don't think they're very good at that in their own zone. When they have to go corner to corner or the Oilers go up the five man cycle, I don't think Philly can handle that. Uh, but you, you've got to make sure that you're playing your style. And they've got a couple of tough guys. You've got to watch out for Ristolainen, and, you know, rocking you. He's one of the guys that can throw the big hit or the reverse hit. Uh, but their defense, to me, is not that good. Uh, they're very porous. They're, their six-man unit uh, isn't great in their own zone. Uh, their they're bottom two lines, I don't think there's enough there. And I, I just think that you have to you have to have to be aggressive against them. Don't don't play a patient game, but don't play a reckless game. And you know they're, they're a team that's a little bit opportunistic, but I think they're very limited in any type of game that they can play. We're joined by Alan May, longtime uh, Washington Capital player and broadcaster. All right, Alan, I'm going to put your get you to put your GM hat on. Your Ken Holland. Uh, Philip Roberg last night might have been Edmonton's best defenseman. He's coming. This guy's an eighth overall pick. He's a six foot four lefty. He can skate. DeHarnay has provided, helped ease the penalty killing minutes for the likes of Bouchard and Barry. Do the Edmonton Oilers need to make a trade to go get a, a top four defenseman? What do you think? Oh, I, I don't think they've got the money to go after and do it without, you know, getting rid of some of the good pieces that they have right now. And you're starting to see their forwards mature. Uh, the younger players and start to get, you know, confidence in the way that they're playing. So I really worry about, you know, upsetting everything. And then do I look at them as a Stanley Cup contender this year? Not quite yet. You know, they still when you have, you know, the greats like McDavid and Dreisaitl, you're capable of doing anything in the playoffs. But, but it's the depth. And I think now that you're, you're starting to get good depth on the team, you've got to be very careful that you don't trade any of the important pieces away. Uh, there's some lesser players on the lineup uh, that I think you can part ways with. But, you know, when I, when I look at a kid like Dylan Holloway, I, I see him getting closer and closer all the time. 
I, I just think that there, there's so many good young players right now. Ryan McLeod's a player that I notice every game, and he's starting to be more positive. Uh, Fogel played such a good game last night. So I, I think if you're going to do anything, you kind of have to get rid of the dead weight if you can. But, you know, who's going to take your dead weight and, and what's out there and what's available for a young player without, you know, you, you go out and there's, a, you know, everyone knows that Jacob Chickering's on the block. But do you give up an important piece of your team and end up with another hole to get him? So it, it's, a, it's a tough one. I, I think you have to go. To me, the better play is the smaller the smaller pieces right now as you're trying to get that roster closer to a more legitimate roster. All right, and I'm going to throw a total curveball your way. We know you played with Doug McCarthy, the former Alberta Golden Bear, with the Carolina Thunderbirds uh, back in 86-87 before uh, Dougie came back to the U of A program where he was an absolute scoring star. He was a terrific offensive player in the late uh, 1980s at the U of A, and he led your team in scoring in the old ACHL. But i got to ask you about another guy that was down there at that time because this guy, and I, I only saw him play once in the Western League, in the mid 80s he might have been the nastiest piece of business i ever saw and that was brian wells do you remember him i played uh in saskatchewan junior league with the, with him as well and uh he was always entertaining he was uh we had a scrap in an intramural game that i won when i i think we were 17 and 16 something like that but absolute psycho, and uh, it's funny. He'd always go. He goes. He goes. He goes. I don't know what's wrong with you. He goes. It's like you're always the same. And me, I lose it. And I said, Yeah, I get to play every game, and you only get to play partial seasons. And uh, you know, I just looked at there. He was such a good hockey player, but he had no control uh, in the things that he did. He he was a great skater. He could put up numbers. And it's funny, I got him to come and play in Carolina with me. He, he, I think he was kicked out of the Western League for another incident. I think it was the Odelin incident. And he just called me. He needed a spot, so I brought, I got him to come down. And I was fighting the Burrs brothers every night. I think I fought the two brothers 21 times uh, my first season. Oh, man. And, and they could fight. And, uh, but you know what? I had their number, and it was just one of those things. It's, it's indescribable. <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. So it's – but he came, and he stepped in. He didn't want me to fight one of them, and he couldn't reach him. It was the taller one, Serge, and he couldn't reach him. And the next thing you know, he had his hands around his throat, and he was pulling him in, and he took a big bite of his forehead like he was biting an apple. And I was like, he just couldn't help himself with the things that he did. <laughs> and he was such a good hockey player. I wish I could handle the puck like him. I wish I could score like him, but he just couldn't control himself. 80, I, I think it was in the 85-86 season. Uh, it might have been 84-85. Because, you know, we grew up playing against Tenorti, and Mark Tenorti was a giant, and he was tough, and he could, remember he fought Proby, and he ate about three, no problem, and kept on swinging, and he played forever. And, I mean, you were his teammate. You know how good and tough Mark Tenorti was. But he, uh, Brian Wells, in junior, one of the ugliest stick-swinging incidents of all time. And, and Wells is 5'8", Tenorti 6'4". But, man, I mean, Willie Stargell didn't swing the, the, the bat that hard, if you know what I'm saying. Like, he swung from downtown, got himself suspended in the Western League. Well, you know what? I think on that one, he was doing the tomahawk chops. And I, I, Mark told me years later when we were playing together in Dallas that what, what he had done with his finger, 
was say it looked like a drumstick to start the fight. It looked like an eaten drumstick to end the fight. So he had he had peeled it because he was protecting his head. And that, that was the problem with Wellesley. He was way too out of control. I think he, I'm not sure which Odelin brother uh, it, it was, but he, he whacked one of them in the face with a stick. It was another incident. I think that was the one that finally got him out of the Western Lake. Well, and, yeah. it, you know, it was just stuff that it's not condoned in any era. And, you know, and if he was 5'8", I'm six foot five. So the the kid could skate almost as good. He, he could skate almost as good as Flurry. He was, you know, he was the same size since the time he was about eleven or twelve years old, and he was just, he was built like a professional boxer, but it, it just psychotic. And I I do have, I got another story for you. When he was coaching in the Central Hockey League for the Wichita Thunder or Wind or whatever it was, he was coaching against Doug Sauter and the Oklahoma City Blazers. And they had one of these school day games where every elementary school in Oklahoma City was at the game. Starts at 11 a.m. during school hours. They have a bench-clearing brawl in the first period, and Wellesley jumps over the boards to go after Sauter. So that just goes to show he had no filter. He had, he, he had, he had just never had another voice in his head that said stop. Uh, just absolutely out of control. And you know, there, there's a lot of guys like that over the course of time. They wonder why they never played, and that's. That's the fact. That's why he never played. He couldn't control himself. He, he would have had a little bit of a, you know, not just a little bit, a lot of a filter. Uh, he could have played, but, you know, I've seen far too many guys like that in the course of my time in the game. Hal, great stuff. Thanks for taking us down uh, with a trip down memory lane, a little bit of story time. We'll hook up in a couple weeks. All right. Take care, Bob. Gas and Oilers now receive gift cards to Japanese Village for 50 years. Edmonton's destination for a celebration for the census reserve today at jvedmonton.ca. And we're going to tell you the cars cost less in Wetasco and Brent Ridge Ford in Wetasco and well known for an excellent top shelf service department. They don't forget about you after you purchase a vehicle. You can reach out to Uncle Milt, Rich, Johnny. Let the team at Brent Ridge Ford make you a repeat customer. 780-352-6048. Brent Ridge Ford's your Ford truck authority on the Auto Mile in Wetasquin. We'll head off to a global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson. And when we come back, a voice you've heard often on Oilers now over the years. He's now the president and CEO of the American Hockey League, Scott Housen.